So Martin, this is airing the day after Christmas. It is. What'd you get for Christmas? Um, and by that, I'm asking you to look forward into the future and see what you got for I'm Christmas. I'm going to go ahead and say that I got, I got nothing. I have no idea. Uh, I'm comb. pretty sure I got like a Lambo. I got a comb. And you got a comb. And a comb over. Like, so half your hair just fell out? Yeah. They, over they, the Christmas they weekend? Came, they came together. <laughs> it's a Christmas miracle. I guess I didn't think <laughs> about Instantaneous that. male baldness. I didn't think about that part. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, Whatever. The Christmas gift that keeps on giving or or taking, depending on your perspective. Yeah. I mean, if you're going for like the Terry Crews look or like the Mr. Clean look, then then it's it's a gift. Yeah, I guess I didn't think about that very much <laughs> because if I just comb my hair over, it's still not really a comb over. I just have a hair. Yeah, uh, and it's just like one of those side swept look. Yeah. Our, look how right. good I look. Well, early male balding is my yeah. Christmas gift then. Nice. Sounds like a good birthday gift to Ashley. I'm excited. Yeah, she's going to be excited. <laughs> Since today's she her birthday. She wants me to be bald real bad. No, she doesn't. <laughs> well, uh, our late Christmas gift to all of our listeners is, is this episode. Hope you like it. Hope you like it. How do you mm. think it's going so far? Yeah, I, I found Train it. Wreck. It was a really good gift, I think. Nice. We, I feel like we got half our gifts before Christmas even happened. Yeah. I got Anna a monitor. And uh, she's pretty stoked about that because now she can design cool things on it. Well, I mean, thus far, we've only really had like friend Christmas stuff, which we did all before Christmas. So, yeah, we did Friendsmas and we were supposed to do do? like real Friendsmas, but snow canceled it. Apparently, like half the country has been having the worst winter ever. So Hmm. I can't just sit and mope and act like I'm the only one dealing with these problems. Yeah, we got some other problems and or questions to answer. In yes, this not winter episode, related, I'm though, certain. I do want to tease the fact that the next episode we're going to release is not going to be in this format because you and I just recently read a really good book. Yep. Uh, which is allegedly, possibly, maybe by the name of Deep Work. And Deep uh, Work. Yeah, fantastic book. I'm just going to say it. Um, episode 100 of this podcast was an interview with the author of Deep Work. So. I would say, you know, most people who listen to this podcast may have already listened to it, given that it's the most popular episode ever really? of this show. Yeah. Nice. A, a decent margin. Nice. But I personally took a lot away from the book after actually reading it because I hadn't read it when I talked to Cal about it. It had just come out very recently when I when I talked to him. So I'm stoked to dig in, talk about what I took from it, talk about how I implemented some of the ideas from it. And... Uh, just kind of reevaluated my work style and some of my some of my life choices, man. Yeah. Look at your life. Look yeah, it should choices. be cool. And I'm I'm curious to hear how it affected you as well. But on this episode, we got some questions and we ran out of lame superheroes. If you remember, at, at Matter Eater list. Lad was the alleged lamest superhero in the world, though. I'm gonna have to say that the ice cream guy was lamer. Yeah. And I don't think Matter Eater Lad was the lamest. I yeah, think that's that a power was, right there. I disagree. You could eat through the earth. I don't know. Like I don't know why you'd do crazy that, but it's power. clearly more powerful than being ice cream. But the questions today came from some of the most unfair video game bosses of all time. Yes, we found a mm. brand new use for <laughs> list, list posts, haven't we? We have. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there are plenty of stupid sites out there with dumb lists. Uh, oh, we'll never we got like out. most realistic video game WWE wrestlers over here. Oh, that sounds like a good list. <laughs> I don't want to do that list, though, because we're going to do 
the most unfair video game bosses of all time. Uh, and I like this list because the first one that I recognized, there was one I didn't recognize, but the first one I recognize is Galactus from Marvel vs. Capcom 3. Good game. And you and I have played a lot of oh, yes. Marvel vs. Capcom 3. Now, I never found Galactus to be that hard to beat in that game. I don't even think I ever fought Galactus. I only played against you guys. Oh, yeah. You never played the single player. Nope. You know what? That's kind of your thing. You only played the multiplayer in games like this. Like, you didn't play single player Towerfall yeah. very much either. Yeah, I don't care about that. And I ran through that until my fingers I basically bled. I want my single bled. players to have narratives. There's not a very yeah. compelling narrative Whoa. in uh, Towerfall. There's an incredibly compelling narrative. You're a guy with arrows, and you need to shoot the other things whether or not they have arrows. That is compelling. I know, right? You got me. I'm, I'm feeling something. And in Marvel vs. Capcom 3, every character has a story. They're not uh, always good. But don't well, you want to learn the gripping, compelling narrative that drives Senko? Don't you want to get into her head? Uh, yes, kind of. Makes her tick. Yes, kind of. <laughs> but not for all of those characters. Yeah. At the same time. I do have to say, in in the game, beating Galactus is not that difficult. But for some of the of the fighters in that game, I found it a little bit ridiculous. Like you can be Frank from Dead Rising. Oh yeah. Who's literally just a photographer with a baseball bat and like a shopping cart. He has a chance. And you can defeat the Eater of Worlds. Or you can be like a Chris from Resident Evil. I mean, he's pretty badass, but he's got, what, a revolver and a shotgun and That's a couple of grenades. This is America. <laughs> Duh. Anyway, Galactus's burning question yeah, for what's us. what's he got? Uh, and hey, this actually is fitting because he travels around the universe a lot. This question is, how do you deal with trips and travels? Do you suspend your middle to long-term tasks or do you reduce the amount of time you dedicate to them? I'm going to be leaving for a two-week holiday, and honestly, I don't know how to cope with it. I wonder which plan oh, he's going to go what? eat This is almost Christmas-related. It is. Go. Yeah. So, hey, if any of you are out on Christmas holiday right now with family or something, this is a very pertinent question. You, I'm just going to go ahead and say you probably don't have, like, a crazy answer for this because you barely ever travel. Yeah, I don't travel very much. Which, hopefully, we can fix in the future because, I mean, but, you uh, speak I have, Spanish. I have you a need theoretical to go. answer. Okay. And I like, have many real answers. Yeah, I'm more interested in your answers to this. Okay. So because I travel a lot, I'm very used to traveling. And part of part of being used to traveling is the knowledge that even if I believe that I'll travel and just get work done because I can technically do my work from anywhere, it's really difficult. And so the, the best example of this is in 2012, uh, my friend Ryan was like, hey, I'm going to go to Japan in the summer and this was my junior year of college i had never been out of the country before and i was like heck yes i'm gonna do this it was totally on a whim but i was like yeah i'm planning let's do it and my friend quentin went with us as well so it was the three of us so we go to japan and uh, i'm at this time i was just starting to make like the teensiest amount of money with college and Geek because i think we went in may and i think i got like my first ever like regular money in april of that year before that, it had just been like working with Adobe and getting free software and a couple of other little minor things. Yeah. But I was like, okay, this is not a job, but it's like a side hustle and I want to keep growing it. So I'm going to go to Japan and I'm going to blog from Japan and it's going to be awesome. I'm, I'm going to write so many posts about Japan. I'm going to do so much travel content. I even said it on the blog. And then I went there and even though I had downtime in the hostel, I wrote almost nothing. Yeah. I think I wrote one post. And it was about my experience at the Adobe Days event in San Francisco, which happened before 
Japan. And then I got home and I remember uh, writing a post like being like, sorry, I didn't blog. But the thing I've learned about travel is when you travel to a new place, all of your habits go out the window. All of your automated decisions, they're gone because everything's new. So you wake up and instead of being like, I'm going to walk into the kitchen and I'm going to make my egg sandwich. It's like, Ooh, I could go literally anywhere for breakfast. And Oh, now I need to go to this electronics store and buy a mobile battery. Cause my phone keeps running out of battery. And Oh yeah. I guess we're now going to go sightsee normally. Yeah. There's like everything's new. There's no routine and it, it's tough to get time and motivation when there's so many cool things to do to work. Uh, and now I still travel for fun, but the vast majority of my travel is at least in some part business related. I'm going to conferences and things like that. And I just, it's tough to find time to get work done. So I keep that in mind when I'm planning out my weeks, because I usually know at least a couple of weeks in advance, usually more when I'm going to travel. I would say the shortest term big travel is coming up. Let's see here. If we're publishing this on the 26th, uh, a week and a half from this published date on January 4th, I'm going to New York City for a couple of business things. And that's probably like the shortest notice travel I've ever done. Otherwise, it's been planned out. So when I kind of know how long it takes to make a video and I kind of know how long like an individual topic will take. So usually what I'll try to do is either number one, I might not make a video the week I'm traveling or I'll shoot for an easy video that I know I can get done. For example, I went to FinCon, which was like a financial bloggers conference back in September. And the video I released that week was my um, Marcus Aurelius video on dealing with negative people. And it wasn't a super ambitious video. I brought meditations with me on the plane. I was reading it and I found a passage in the book that I really liked. And I was like, hey, this would be something cool to share. I can basically read the passage, give my interpretation of it. It'll be like a four or five minute video as opposed to my eight or nine minutes that I'm usually doing and I can edit it in the hotel room, which I did. And even then it was pretty tough to get done with everything else going on, but I got it out. So for me, it's all a process of looking ahead, being realistic with the expectations of what I can achieve and knowing that whatever I can achieve while I'm at home is vastly reduced when I'm traveling. Yeah. And if it's like supposed to be a vacation, like Thanksgiving vacation, I tell myself I can't work. You know, it's just not going to happen. So I read deep work over my Thanksgiving vacation in uh, South Carolina, but I did zero work and I planned on doing zero work. So I just made sure I got everything done before then. So that's that's what I do. Yeah, I mean, I'd say that's pretty much the way to go about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, not too long ago, I was in Minneapolis to see this cool Harry Potter symphony orchestra thing. That sounds dope. Yeah, they they had a symphony playing all the music from the first movie along with the first movie. It was actually really cool. But... While there, the first night in a hotel there, I spent like one or two hours finishing up a podcast episode, getting it all prepared. <laughs> but I finished it the first night on purpose because as soon as I got it done, I was like, good, that no longer exists and I don't care. I want to be present minded and enjoy where I'm at. Yeah. Whether I'm there, if I'm there for a business conference sometime in the future or some sort of businessy thing, mm-hmm. I still want to be present minded about where I'm at. It's interesting. It's new. Forcing yeah. forcing my daily routines upon something that's interesting and inherently not part of my daily routine seems like a poor way to use like a trip. Yeah, and I will say that it's if you have like a I don't know, like a, a defined project, like editing a podcast episode, you don't want that weighing on your mind the entire time you're on your trip. 
Yeah, I was. So it, I it's smart to get thinking, it done early. Like, oh man, do I have time to do this later? So I did it first because I knew that if I tried to do it later, I'd keep pushing it off. Mm -hmm. I will say, when I'm flying, flights are actually pretty decent times for me to get work done. Yeah. Because Wi-Fi is so expensive on the planes, um, I usually am not really willing to buy it. I do didn't sometimes. even know that was a thing. It is, and and some writers actually like lament the advent of uh of Wi-Fi on planes because huh. the they say you know it used to be like the one time of solace where there was absolutely no opportunity to get on the internet, and that means I have to either read or write, but I just you know choose not to buy yeah, the Wi-Fi. Don't, don't get it, mm -hmm. you know, and they offer like TV and movies on the airplanes, but I usually just pull my laptop out and and write. Now that I have the iPad Mini, it's even easier. Because I always fly coach because I'm not a baller yet. And that means if I pull up my big honking MacBook Pro, I'm it's kind of like pinioned between the back of the seat and my chest. And I kind of have to like bend my arms up like a crab to type. Like a crab. I've yeah, never. It's, it's real bad. Never thought about a crab on a <laughs> or laptop Or like a mantis before. shrimp. I'm just like sitting there on the plane wanting to punch something. Uh, but now with the iPad mini, I just put it on the little tray thing and I put a notebook next to me and I can type on the iPad mini. Or I can write something, or I can read books. It's great. Cool. Greatest airplane work device. You should voice ever. type everything into it so that you can annoy everyone around you. <laughs> as you're just like, no, no, I got that wrong. I'll do that sentence again. Hey Siri, type this note. How to set smart goals. Step one. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's just like, shut up, dude. No, they're you're teaching them about goals. You should be like, yeah. I should be charging you for this lesson. This is free education. Huh? Why don't you appreciate it? People are so unappreciative of yeah. the finer things in life these days. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, in summary, you know, understand your limitations, know that they're going to be greater when you leave and just try to maybe work a little bit more intensely. You could use your upcoming deadline as motivation to work even harder, or you could just back off a little bit, you know, yeah. take the foot off the gas, be like, hey, this project will take a little bit longer because I'm leaving. That's fine. Breaks are good. I spent almost my entire freshman winter break playing GTA 4. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, every time that I have traveled, and I know it's not, not that many, but every time I have, I invariably come back with a renewed sense of inspiration yeah. and, like, vigor for just everything. Mm -hmm. So all that did was make me think of magic. Whatever. But the point is, using the <laughs> breaks to give my brain a rest card. tends to spark inspiration and innovation in ways that if I had kept up my daily routines and kept working, I don't think it would have happened. Yeah. But seriously, let's talk about how good of a card Vigor yeah, is. That's a pretty good card. It's a good card. It's a pretty good card. It's, so, it's one of those cards that everyone always forgets I have out and I then play. they attack. And then I'm like, all right, go for it, bro. Anywho, next boss. Hopefully I, yeah, I know hopefully what this one is. We'll see. We, we know. I think I'm just gonna go. Yeah, make it a game we know. To one that I know. I want to know. I haven't played Gears of War, which is weird. Street Fighter Four, Seth. I have played Street Fighter Four. I don't know if I ever got name. to this guy. He looks like he has like a. He's like missing his entire torso. Uh, <laughs> the most lazily designed boss in the Street Fighter title ever. <laughs> huh. Why is unfair? I don't think I beat this one. Oh, he's every character combined into one, which means he has no inherent weaknesses, but all the strengths of every type. He can throw projectiles. Staying at a distance. Uh, and then he can do crazy Zangief style grapple moves and teleport. Well, Andy's got that foreboding name. So he's just Seth. Yeah. Watch out. Yeah, that's a pretty apocalyptic sounding name right there. All right. Well, what question does Seth have? Seth's question is, uh, how do you introduce yourself in front of a class without sounding boring? Mm. That's a tough one. You got to do that like 90 times a semester. 
You do. I want to expand this question. Um, and I kind of just want to reframe it in terms of how, how do you introduce yourself in general yeah, and get a positive outcome? Do a class. Because I think, you know, you're being hyperbolic there. You really don't have to introduce yourself in front of a class that many times in your life. And I don't know if it's different for you, but I can't remember a single time somebody introduced themselves in front of the class. Like, I mean, I remember going through those periods in time and I remember, I remember people me standing up introducing myself <laughs> it was fascinating but yeah it's, it's one of those times where i think if you if you're like trying to be clever or funny it's more likely than not to just come off as like weird because everyone's just kind of anxiously waiting for their turn yeah, yeah, like, let's just get this the, over with in the classroom environment they're just like uh oh, don't just don't show off. We're trying to get over with. So if we, you're we just like, think about this. Yeah. I mean, you know, eight other people have gone and then you stand up and you're like, hello there. I'm Thomas. And yes, all the rumors you've heard about me are indeed true. <laughs> I think people are just going to groan. <laughs> Hi there. I actually hang out with Barack Obama on a daily basis. <laughs> I'm a champion skier and I own two helicopters. Yes, I only come to class so that I can tell Obama a bit more about what goes on in the lives of the common people so if yeah. you would like to talk to me about that go on i'm actually the secretary of education but don't tell anybody it's kind of a covert op yeah, you know he's, he's gonna pretend to be like 18 go also back to high school like those movies my dad works at nintendo and he got me an early copy of the wii u3 that doesn't even that's very early <laughs> we play it on my 10k tv that's two more k's than 8k's which is like 15 more k's than you probably have at home yeah and he could also beat up your dad so, yeah. so a yeah. lesson number one, don't try too hard. <laughs> Apparently that's a lesson we just uncovered. Yeah. And that, I, that's, that's kind of a thing in, in real life. If, you, if you're like trying to be clever or funny, it often backfires and comes off as weird. So it depends on the format of how you're supposed to in introduce yourself. If it was me and they're just like, Hey, tell us your name and where you're from. I would just tell them my name where I'm from. Yeah. Keep it if simple. they're like, Hey, say one introduce or, you know, say inter interesting thing about yourself or something like that. Then I have a little bit more ammunition to work with. And I don't know, I could just say like, hey, I'm I'm Thomas and I'm into figure skating and woodworking or something like that. Yeah. And I think the key thing is everyone is focused on themselves when they're standing up there. Now, they might hear you when you're introducing yourselves, but they're focused on what they're going to say. So I'm not going to worry too much about what I say, but I'm going to instead focus on did somebody who I'm sitting next to in the class happen to have an interest in the same thing that I mentioned? Or did they say something that I find interesting? Because I'm sitting next to them or, you know, around them. If I want to make friends, maybe I'll just uh, comment on something that they said. Oh, like, yeah. oh, really? You're into jet skiing through giant hoops of fire. Me too, man. Or what's that like? You know, yeah. like strike up a conversation or based on. Like, I've always wanted to do that. Yeah. And right. Stare right at right in the eyes. Mm -hmm. Hey, you. So, yeah, personally, I wouldn't worry about looking all grand and cool when I introduce myself. I would instead focus on how can I use this situation to make friends? And I think your your greatest opportunity is in is in commenting and highlighting something that somebody else may have said. Uh, and if somebody happens to do that for you, then, you know, keep that conversation going. Yeah, because they've taken an interest in you in real life. Most of the occasions where I have to introduce myself are not just in front of a room of people who have had you know zero interaction with me, and it's it's just totally like structured like that. It's usually I'm at a conference 
I'm at an event, I come to somebody, or maybe it's a speaker that I just listen to. And in those cases, my priority is to first ask them something, get them talking about themselves. Because people love to talk about themselves. And if you can make them feel good and feel special, then they're going to instantly like you. So if it was a speaker, I might say, you know, I would congratulate them on, you know, an awesome talk or, or I'll pick something I was really interested in from their talk and I'll mention, you know, hey, I really liked this thing that you said and uh, maybe comment on how it applies to my life or something. And if it's just somebody at a conference, one thing you can do is just come up and say, hey, I'm Thomas, you know, what's the coolest thing going on in your life right now? Or what are you really passionate about? When I was in Portland for World Domination Summit back in 2014, this guy named Joel Zaslowski is his last name. He just came up to me and he's like, what are you passionate about right now, man? That was it. And I thought it was a cool question because most people always ask, you know, what do you do for work? And if you happen to not like your job, you're just yeah, like, yeah, oh, well, like, why'd you ask me that? I work in corporate auditing and I usually just try to see how many peanut M&Ms I can sneak out of my coworker's desk without getting caught in a, in any given day. But, you know, yeah. well, I mean, that's interesting. It is pretty interesting. If they know the record. What kind of like espionage tactics do you use? Yeah. You know, but what he asked me was, what are you passionate about right now? And to be honest, I don't remember exactly what I was passionate about on that day. But when he asked me, I knew and I told him and that started an awesome conversation. Well, it and jumps we're right still to friends. The, it yeah. jumps right to like the real conversation that seems to skip a little bit of the small talk that mm -hmm. I think that you would often have. Yeah. And then I think, you know, on, on the flip side, if somebody asks you that, Something I've learned is that you don't need to try to be all things to all people. Just be yourself and also don't be too humble. I think a lot of people are afraid of looking like they're cocky or, you know, overconfident or, you know, that they think they're all that. So they'll be, they'll like downplay everything and they'll say things like, you know, I don't really do much or I don't know. I just kind of play video games or whatever. Don't be afraid to show what you're passionate about and actually speak about it because you know one or a couple things is going to happen number one maybe that person's really into it and then you'll make an awesome connection or number two maybe they're not but the fact that you're showing that you're so interested in it is going to make you interesting i've always thought that you know interesting people are people who are very visibly interested in something they're not apathetic and they're not just kind of uh you know not expressing anything yeah so express what you're interested in and somebody, you know, they're going to feed off that energy. Yeah. And I'd say one, one last thing is if you're in a class and you're trying to, you want to stand out or you want to find somebody with a connection other than the obvious one that you all share by being in the class. Like if it's a programming class, everybody already, they like programming probably if they're in an advanced one, you're there for a reason. But if you want to connect with somebody on a more personal level and you have to introduce yourself, use something completely unrelated to the class. Like if mm -hmm. I was in a programming class, I'd introduce myself with a weird thing if they needed it by saying something about languages. And if I was in a language class, I would do the opposite. And I would say something mm. about programming because then you can find the people that have more than one connection with you. Yeah. And you're and creating just, contrast. Yeah. And you're creating contrast. So now you stand out a little more if you need to. But I wouldn't throw that in unless they've asked for some sort of interesting fact or like yeah. a truth or a lie kind of situation. Yeah, it's good. And also you could put stickers on your laptop. Oh, yeah. I I used to have these little keyboard stickers on my old laptop that I gave to Ashley. And every single one was like a little Marvel superhero. And I cannot tell you how many how many conversations that has started. Like just an insane amount. People yeah, always just come up from putting stickers on Those are on so cool, man. 
Yeah, I don't have any super cool stickers on my new laptop. I have like a Pokemon one from Japan, but that's pretty cool. It's cool, but fewer people comment on it than the stickers. So yeah, well, I mean, I don't think anybody's ever commented out. on my stickers. You got a Ghastly and a Duolingo and a Harry Potter. Something about those. Uh, well, maybe the keyboard stickers in particular were so unique that they. I just think they really stand say out. Something about it. Yeah, yeah, they're just they're really out there and weird. I yeah. think a lot of people have stickers on their laptop. Um, I did have like this One Piece sticker from the anime One Piece, but it was like this crazy silhouette that went across the entire bottom yeah. of the laptop. So that I think that stood out more than just you know your normal die cut circular sticker. Yeah. So that helped as well. Yeah, I, we have a post on the site called the Ultimate Networking Guide for Introverts, and I'm not sure how much it talks about introducing yourself. I think it it touches on it. Uh, my friend Stefano wrote it, but we'll put it in the show notes. And if you're curious about learning more about how to introduce yourself and just network in general, check it out. Yeah, we're going to go to our next unfair boss, which is <laughs> I haven't played Dead Rising, so I'll skip this one. You know what, though? I'm just realizing that I don't play very many games. Oh, no. So what have you done? What? Have, yeah, I think I made a bad pick here by trying to go for ones that I have. You played Final Fantasy uh, eight? Oh, here we uh, go. Yeah, here we go. One. This is a good one. Here we go. Never beat eight. Mike Tyson. Mike, from Tyson. Mike Tyson's punch out. Watch out. <laughs> oh, man. When Mike Tyson's Punch-Out! was released back in the 80s, the real version of the boxer was untouchable. He had a 37-0 record. And so apparently they just made him like that in the game. <laughs> well, there you go. A single well-punched, uh, well-placed punch from AI Tyson can floor fairly, you indefinitely. Fairly unfair. Yep. Yeah, I know that entire game's all about just like memorizing exactly when to time your punches and everything. Yeah. All right, Mr. Mike Tyson. I almost want to try to do an impression, but I'm not going to. It just makes me think of uh, Michael Scott doing an impression. <laughs> so, yep, that's yep. it. With equally cringy results. Yep. Tyson's question, though, is I'd like to get your thoughts on the importance of a reading culture for self-development, the development of a nation and the world at large. Okay, so he's asking about... This is wise. Big questions, not just Very himself. wise, Mike Tyson. I recently started a book club at my university to help improve the reading culture. What are your thoughts on the importance of reading and what role it has played in your success? Interesting question. I actually, yeah. I thought he was going to be asking about, you know, what's the importance of reading individually, which, I mean, it's obviously very important. How do we, elabor how do we elaborate on, you know, the obvious, yes, people should read I don't answer? Know. Well, well um, I will tell you that today... On Reddit, I saw on on today I learned there mm -hmm. was some some tradition, and it was either Iceland or Sweden. I'm sorry, I don't remember, but one of them has a tradition during the Christmas season where they like get each other books and they open the books on the 24th, and then they like immediately start reading them, and that's that's a tradition. So I think that's pretty awesome. Just as a side note, but definitely reading is important for all sorts of things in culture. Reading is what one of the biggest things that our ability to write and read things is kind of the backbone of there being a culture. Is yeah. it not uh, mm, a complex culture? I mean, at least the current one. I mean, there, there was certainly culture before the invention of, of writing. Well, yeah, but, but like everything that we're doing, what we have now is kind of built on top of it. Yeah. And I think we mentioned it in a, a pretty recent podcast episode. Uh, what Cal said in deep work is that the people who are going to win in the new economy are those who can work with complex information systems. And I think that people who read a lot 
are able to do that intuitively, but also combine many different areas of knowledge to be able to creatively utilize those information systems as well. I mean, on an individual level, the more mm-hmm. the more you read of a certain topic, the better your expertise is on a certain topic, and the more expertise that any person around us has in any topic is better because the community is smarter. Yeah. I mean, in, in essence, it's, that's kind of the it, entire goal of College Info Geek is to create a more intelligent yeah, culture. Yeah, would you rather your society is really educated and nuanced on certain topics or doesn't know at all what they're doing? I was having a conversation with a friend recently, and uh, I don't remember how the conversation got onto like taxes and paying for education, but he was like, I'm done with school. Why would I want to pay for schools and education? And I'm like, I don't want to be surrounded by a bunch of people who never went to school. Yeah. (laughs) Don't think about yourself in this case. You know, it it does. Well, I guess it does affect you because you live in the society that is shaped everything. by the education system and also shaped by the propensity for like, the people in that system to read. Reading is an important part of education in general. Yeah. And education in general is, I think, positive. Mm-hmm. Therefore, uh, reading is positive. But I would say also, especially if if we're talking, say, fiction, reading fiction has just expanded my mind and helps me think of things and mm. relate to things and explore different philosophies. But reading nonfiction especially because I read a lot of the same topics. i got a lot of productivity, a lot of philosophy, a lot of language books and linguistics. And because of this, I can piece together different bits of knowledge and ideas from each of those things. Instead of just blindly following the instructions of one author, I'm learning the skill of constructively building on knowledge from several sources to create my own internal version. Mm. And I think that that's just... That makes it so that I'm not just parroting whoever told me something. And I think that's an important skill in general, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially if we're all just parroting fake news off Facebook, maybe the ability (laughs) to discern important information and throw away what's not is nice right now, I think. Yeah, exactly. I I heard something, like a quote once that was like, uh, you know, it's better for, or, or what's better, you know, 50 kids in a classroom reading one book or 50 kids in a classroom reading 50 books. And... I really liked that hmm. because I think there is an emphasis on, you know, re- reading a lot of the same books and there is a value in that. But I also think that, you know, the more people branch out and read what they're individually interested in, the richer our culture becomes. Yeah, because if you've got like one guy who's super smart at linguistics, yeah, I couldn't think of a better example right now. And one guy who's super good at math, that is cooler in combination than if they were both kind of mediocre at both topics. Yeah. They can they can explore further and share their knowledge. And then you get those two people coming together and then yeah, they are able uh, to build Google Translate. Like diversity of labor or something. Oh, division of labor. Division of labor, that's yeah. what it is. Uh Adam Smith coined that term, I believe. So this is the division of like intellectual prowess. Yeah. I think it's beneficial. Now I think there has to be a balance between reading and experience as well. Uh, And I say that because I get emails from people sometimes who I think in the same vein as this question, they, they value the importance of reading so much and I applaud them for that. But then they'll say things like I read five books a week. You know, I read like five self-development books a week or I read a book every single day. That is intense. And I know from personal experience, you can read a book in a day depending on the length, but if you do that every day, you're leaving yourself no time to build something on your own accord or to go get experience on your own. 
You can't like apply it if yeah. you're just jumping immediately to the next set of steps. Mm-hmm. Reading has to be mixed in with work, with creation, with figuring things out for yourself, throwing yourself into problems and, and solving them, challenging yourself and stressing yourself. So to this guy's question, I think, you know, creating like a book club at your university is a wonderful idea. And, you know, if anyone else out there wants to do that, awesome idea. Just don't go too far and and just like delude yourself that reading self-development books is going to be like the be all end all answer to helping you achieve your goals. Yeah. The authors probably did more than read other self-development books Mm -hmm. in their quest for knowledge. And that's why I said, and I think it was the previous episode, I wouldn't have dropped out of college to work on College Info Geek. Even though I could have researched the answer to any question that anyone would want me to answer, I wanted the experience yeah. of actually being in the trenches, of doing the things. And I, I, I would never want to diminish the importance of that for anyone else. Reading is awesome, but learning from the experience of others only gets you so far and it must be combined with your own hard-won experience. So take that, Mike Tyson, for whatever it's worth. (laughs) And that wraps up this episode, I think. Yeah. So this is 139, which means you can find the show notes for this particular episode over at cigpodcast.com slash 139. And there you'll find that link over to the Ultimate Networking Guide for Introverts if you want to have a read of that. And uh, anything else we mentioned in the episode will be linked on that notes page, along with ways to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. If you'd like to support the show, it's a great way to do it. Lastly, if you want to find our favorite resources, apps, tools, our recommended books, all kinds of stuff, I know the new semester is coming up, so you can check out our ultimate college packing guide for moving into college and our book list over at collegeinfogeek.com slash resources. So until next week, stay cute.